You know what the most dangerous thing in America is, right? Nigga with a library card. <laughs> This is the Most Dangerous Thing in America podcast, a show in which we read books by black authors. And they're talked about by a black author, and you can listen if you are black or not black. That is okay. This week on the podcast, it's a quick one because it's fiction. We're talking about Poe Must Die, which uh, is by, let me get the author's name really quick. Poe Must Die by Mark Olden, who... uh, I had never heard of, and so what we're going to do here, I'll give a quick recap of how I came to the book, what the book is about, and then we'll just talk about some notes that I had, which aren't many. This is going to be a very quick podcast. So how I came to the book, I don't know. It was on my Kindle, and uh, I like to use the Kindle at the gym, so when I'm doing the elliptical or walking on the treadmill, and... This seemed, and I especially like, you know, nothing that's too dense when I'm working out, right? I don't have enough oxygen in my brain uh, to concentrate on working out, um, lock in, you know, force myself to keep going, and enough oxygen to concentrate on something that's really dense and hard to read, like a nonfiction book or technical, like uh, anything like, you know, um, mathematical or scientific. That's not going to work. So, or, or literary, that's also not going to work. What I want is, uh, pulp. I want pulp. I want noir. I want detectives. I could do sci-fi, but yeah, that's my workout reads, right? That's, that's what I need. And so Poe Must Die, even though I didn't recognize where I got the title from. And I think that's normal for people who buy a lot of books. You just kind of buy them and then, uh, when you actually get around to reading them, you kind of forget what brought you there. This happened to me so many times. Recently, I read a book called The Fortress by, I think the author's name is S.A. Jones, an Australian female author. Um, great book. You should go seek it out. Not a black author, but a great book. Uh, I have no idea how I came to it. Don't know why I bought it. I just found it. I'd sent it to my mother's house. I was at my mom's house. I saw the book. And I was like, oh, when did I buy that? Why did I buy that? Read it. It was fantastic. Poe Must Die, similar thing. Except my criteria for deciding to read it was like, oh, I'm at the gym, I'm out of the uh, urban noir fantasy fiction that I read by Douglas Lam- Lumsden, um, who I really enjoy his novels. Um, so I, I happened upon this. And then I was more than halfway through the book before I looked up the author. Uh, I read this over the course of weeks. So I was more than halfway through the book before I uh, looked up the author and uh, realized that he was black. I had no idea that he was black. And I want to discuss that more, but first let's just do a quick little plot. So basically the plot of this book is there is a character named Jonathan who is seeking the throne of Solomon and eternal life. And so that's the occult aspect of the book. His travels. Uh, to seek the throne of Solomon, see him go from England, uh, Europe, I think, in general, and then England, uh, specifically London, where he meets uh, Charles Dickens or crosses past paths with Charles Dickens and a boxer named Pierce James Figg, who I did not look up if he's actually a real character, 
um, because a lot of the people mentioned in this book are real people. So he might be a real prize fighter that lived in the 19th century. Charles Dickens, we know, is certainly real. So anyway, he crosses paths with them, and then he hops over to America, and we follow Pierce James Figg. He's trying to pursue Jonathan to get his revenge for what happened when they met in England, and uh, in order to do so, he needs to meet up with the book's namesake, Edgar Allan Poe, who um, is friends with Charles Dickens. I, I also didn't look up if that's real or not. I don't do research for fiction books. When it's nonfiction, I will go off into the tangents. I'll read primary sources. I'll, I'll, um, you know, I'll, I'll read other works by historians or cultural critics or whatever, philosophers who are commenting on it. But for fiction, I like to fly fast and loose. We shouldn't really have to research things to enjoy a fiction book, in my opinion, and, and you don't have to here. So anyway, Pierce James Figg meets Edgar Allan Poe, and then they pursue Jonathan. That's, that's what the book is about. Uh, and then there's some stuff here and there, and obviously plot points and all of that. So yeah, getting back to the author being black, I had never heard of this author, um, other than, you know, sometime in the distant past when I heard of him and put his book on my Amazon wish list, and it was probably like a buck ninety nine or something. And I was like, oh, two dollars, sure. And I must have at the time known he was a black author, but just didn't realize it. What was interesting is though I was reading the book, and uh, while I was reading it, I was thinking like Poe must die. Um, it's kind of literary fan fiction, right? Because we're getting Charles Dickens is mentioned, Edgar Allan Poe is mentioned, uh, Byron, um, Tennyson. Uh, I don't know if Shelley's mentioned, but perhaps Shelley, you know, the, the authors of the 19th century, the who's who of the 19th century, they're mentioned. So my initial thought was, ah, this is some, uh, MFA student who really likes 19th century literature or whatever, and fancies himself or herself clever. And, uh, they've, they've gone ahead and you know, decide to write a book about the 19th century. Oh, I like Dickens. Oh, I like Edgar Allan Poe. He's the father of detective fiction. Oh, I like um, the romantic poets. I like Byron and, and whatnot. I'm going to write a book about this, and that's what it's going to be. And as I was reading it, I was going like, yeah, look at this fucking MFA guy or gal. Uh, look at them doing what they do. Just the same old stuff. Uh, but finding myself charmed by it nonetheless. But if I'm being honest, there was definitely a part of me that was like, these fucking MFA guys, you know? They never miss a chance. So, but anyway, about halfway through the book, I discovered, no, this is not an MFA person. This is a, a black author named Mark Olden who wrote a bunch of, you know, pulp fiction in different genres. So probably his most famous thing is he, he wrote like the Black Samurai. Oh, that's how, that's definitely how I figured it out. What am I talking about? Yeah, he wrote he wrote a Black Samurai series, and that was the basis for the Jim Kelly black exploitation movies. And that's 100% how I came to this because I watch a lot of black exploitation. And uh, Josiah Howard actually has a great book on black exploitation that I use when I'm watching black exploitation. And that's definitely, definitely how I must have come to this, either through looking up the Jim Kelly movies, reading about it in Josiah Howard's book, or off of his Twitter, something like that. Anyway, um, why I find that interesting is that, uh, you know, 
if you, I think that there's two things here that are interesting. One is like the concept of a black voice, right? And I know I reference Moten a lot. Moten has become like a, Fred Moten has become like a, um, he, he's become like a, the aesthetic voice of this podcast. But he talks about that black aesthetic, you know, the cut. And um, one of the, the, just to review that concept, I, I think you could say it's the, the scream initiated by the imposition of the European on African history and how it's reverberated through time. I think that's a concise, succinct description of what the black aesthetic has come to be. That doesn't mean that it's only defined by uh, Europeans imposing themselves, but let's say that that's the particular chord that was struck. So there's a lot of different chords comprising the Afro-American, African experience in general, the diasporic experience, but just the African experience in general. The one that reverberates through a lot of African-American work is that, that scream. This doesn't have that. When I was thinking MFA student, I wasn't thinking black MFA student. I was thinking a white person wrote this book. And that one speaks to the idea of, you know, voice. Um, is it real? But also just like, how not everything necessarily written by a black person has that aesthetic. I'm not being naive here. I mean, there's, that's obvious, right? You know, you can have black people are not monolithic. You can do all kinds of different stuff. Sure, right? Absolutely. But in general, when we make something, there's usually, uh, it's not even a tip of the cap. You just kind of know, you know? You just kind of know. Like, I've read enough black literature, written enough black literature, listened to enough hip-hop, watched enough movies to be like, oh yeah, that seems like a sensibility that I connect with. And I wouldn't say that this book had that. It's not a negative. It's just a fact. I just didn't sense it. Uh, but it does call into question, you know, is, is, is that actually an aesthetic that exists or am I making it up? Did I not sense it because it doesn't actually exist and I only um, project it onto the works of art that I, uh, consume because I know going in that the person who wrote it is black. That's a possibility, but here's why I don't think it's true. This book essentially has zero, not essentially, it has zero main characters who are black. So this is the other interesting thing about this. There are no black people in this book who are main characters. In fact, the only two black people in the book who are characters are I think these are the only two. There might be whatever minor servant here or there, but one is called Thor, and he is, uh, as you would expect, a fighter, a warrior, um, huge, hulking Negro. That's the other thing, too. Throughout the book, Olden uses, you know, Negro. He uses the word Blackamore at one point. Um, made me think of Tracy Morgan in 30 Rock, how he had learned all of the black slurs in every language. This is like a deep cut. Um, either a virulent racist white person from the South would know, or black people would know because we have to be able to, you know, uh, make sure someone's not talking out the side of their mouth at us. If you get called a blackamore um, in 2023, 
you might just be like, I'm not even sure if that's racist. Rest assured, friends, it is racist. So if you're black and they call you a blackamore, if I get called a blackamore today, um, feel free to go off. But anyway, uh, there are no black characters in this novel. And so Thor is the one fighter, and then there's a female um, fighter who's also like a big hulking negro, negress. So you got one big hulking negro, one big hulking negress, and they're just henchmen fighters. And that's it. And so not only do you have a book about white people, they're white people who are uh, pretty racist. And then you have the only two black characters being like beasts of burden. That just seems like a book written by an MFA white person, but it's not. It's written by this black dude, Mark Holden. Um, so I, I think it was reasonable to be duped into thinking that this was written in like the 20th century. No, it was written in the 20th century. In the late, late, late 20th century or early 21st century by an MFA student. But maybe I'm just trying to make up for my own deficiency. Okay, so... Um, that's what I mainly found interesting about the book. Then other than that, let me just go over this whole, like, uh, slightly racist thing that I just said. What I mean here is that, um, Edgar Allan Poe says, uh, well, let me see, let me find it here. He says, indeed, now and forevermore, I was raised in Virginia where my family owned and sold slaves, and I say to you, there is no shame in this. Had God preferred the Negro to be freed, he most certainly would have done it before now. And then the next sentence starts, since our dark brethren, you can pretty much imagine it from there. So it's just, you know, Olden is writing about these white, and, and then the boxer fig is also, you know, racist. Um, less racist than Poe but more racist than you would like a person to be. And so it's odd that he's writing a book with no black characters. The only two black characters in the book are stereotypical. And then the main characters are both like racist. But as I was reading the book, I was thinking that he has to write them as racist. I mean, that's the reality of what they were. It would be silly to write a book about white people in the 19th century and have them be um, oh, look at that black fellow. Aren't we all equals? I mean, especially if they're historical figures, right? You simply can't do that. But in general, like if you ran into a white person in the 19th century, even if they're from the North, unless they're abolitionists, uh, pretty good chance they just have a eugenicist, um, view of black people, right? Oh, they're inferior. Should we enslave them and beat them? Well, a good white person would say, well, we shouldn't enslave them and beat them, but I also don't want them dining at the same table as me, right? So, um, in that way, I, th I thought Olden did a good job of being true to form, you know, like not trying to sugarcoat the reality, but it just seems odd. I guess the odd part is I asked myself, would I write a book where there's not a single black character who matters and, uh, everybody in the book is ostensibly racist w would like would I want to live in that world for however long it takes me to write the book. Um, I guess if I was really fascinated by the historical figure, perhaps, but I think probably I just wouldn't want to do it. And I'm not even talking about the concept of like writing some pro-black literature. This is the 70s. I'm not talking about him writing like some um, Amiri Baraka or Ishmael Reed type shit. I'm just saying like if I'm writing a book, I'm probably going to insert 
at least one black person in the book somewhere so that I have something to identify myself. If I'm writing a book that's, you know, I think almost any book, really, you're writing about yourself, and it'd be weird to not have yourself anywhere in the book. Maybe Mark Olden was a big hulking Negro um, <laughs> who got into street fights. I, I don't know. But, okay, so um, that's my notes on the book. And then let's just talk about the writing pretty quickly. I thought it was very good. There's some highlighted passages that are well-written. Uh, you know how Kindle does the um, most highlighted passage thing? So there's that. And then there's just like, in general, Poe is really downtrodden and depressed and stuff. And um, that always appeals to me, existential crisis and whatnot. So uh, here, for, uh, for, for, existence, for example, uh, Poe says, Yes, the sorrow of my existence has forced me to live in constant disappointment and discomfort. Mine has been a life of poverty and depression. Uh, this reminded me of the Bela Lugosi line in the Ed Wood movie by Tim Burton, where he says, um, oh, oh, it's like, um, I have been, uh, tortured. God, I can't remember right now, but it's really, it's, it's declarative like this, where he's just like, um, you know, I've been tortured, uh, chased to the ends of the earth, but I will build a race of supermen that take over the world. That's what it is. It, it, it's him. It's Bela Lugosi in Plan 9 from Outer Space. But I only saw it in Edwood. Anyway, I thought that was good. And then he's got some more poetic type stuff here. I'm just scrolling through the Kindle. It doesn't sound, it's not as um romantic as when I'm scrolling through a physical book, right? That's always nicer. So uh, he says... Um, Thus thou shalt possess the glory of the whole world, and all darkness will flee from you. Quite good, very poetic, sounds almost biblical. And then uh, this last line, which sounds like, um, what's our man's name? Uh, Alistair Crowley? Don't know if that's our man. Um, no better representative of the black community than Alistair Crowley. But Alistair Crowley in Thelema, I believe the, the line is... Um, Oh, what the hell is it? It's something like, um, <laughs> ever thus to deadbeat Slabowski. Now, it's something like that, though. It's something like, uh, if you will it, it is no dream. Now, that's Theodore Herzl. But anyway, um, the quote in the book is, may your faith in whatever you believe be strong enough to bring you to victory. And that is a theme of the book because it's rooted in reality, obviously. There's fantastical elements. And then, what I think Olden does a good job of is trying to balance uh, reality with fantasy. How much of what, like, Jonathan believes in is real, how much of it is an invention and an illusion, and how much of it depends on the amount of faith in your soul. So I thought that was um, was quite good. Uh, and then the last thing I'll say is just an enduring thought I've had reading a couple of different books. And um, here, Poe, at the end of the novel, I don't believe this is a spoiler alert, but um, let's just say maybe it is. I mean, if you're listening to this, you've read the book, so it doesn't matter, right? So uh, he says um, in his letter to Fig, so they've come out on the other side, they've survived. And he write, he's writing to Fig, who had left him some money. He says, I do not accept charity, sir, but my dear Muddy, Mrs. Maria Clem, assures me that your intentions were honorable, and that in no way do you seek to demean me. 
this honor culture thing is a very interesting concept, right? So we used to have the honor culture with duels and, um, you know, things like that. And then that got infused and like morphed into like this idea of like bootstraps, right? Like we're going to be homesteaders who go out, we get a plot of land and we'll just pick ourselves up by our bootstraps with the large donation of guns and ammo from the U.S. military to keep the Native Americans away from us and also the, the land and, and also some subsidies. But, but, but bootstraps, right? So we get that. And this all gets mixed up into this idea of honor, not accepting charity, not accepting um, handouts. Why this is interesting to me is because I think that's reverberated and become very dangerous into the modern age. Now, this is obvious politicians constantly talking about people on welfare and how they don't work hard enough and things like that. So that's that's one aspect of it. But another aspect of it in general is how it permeates everything that people think about in that sphere of the world. So uh, if my honor is um, compromised, then I have no choice but to double down, even at the detriment to myself. So in the book, Poe, he needs the sovereigns, that the gold sovereigns that Fig left him, but he can't have his honor uh, be besmirched. Um, and now in modern times, you'll have people who will act against their own self-interest because their honor was besmirched, not just money handouts, but like, anything, you know, um, oh, this value that I hold for whatever reason, whatever it is, you can imagine the values, it could be religious or have to do with education or, uh, the female body or the amount of genders there are, or the amount of sexual orientations that are correct. Um, these things offend honor. And when they offend honor, I have no choice but to act, you know, irrationally to protect that honor. This honor culture thing is super dangerous and it has lasted into the modern times, except that nobody actually defends their honor correctly. You know, uh, like if you really truly believed that this thing was dishonorable, the way you should act, I would think would be to act honorably in the face of the dishonor. I mean, we can't have people dueling anymore, right? That's not going to be a thing. And I'm certainly not advocating for the crazy shit that some people are advocating for, like Sarah Palin or something like that. But I would think that if you had somebody acting dishonorably, the way, in my mind, of a person who's obsessed with honor culture and being a gentleman or a lady, they would say, ah, well, you're acting dishonorably. I will act honorably in the face of this, even, um, even though you're acting this way, what's, per what's been perverted is that instead of acting honorably in the face of dishonor, they've just acted dishonorably in a different way. Uh, but I do think that this honor culture has reverberated, um, out from the 18th and 19th century and just never gone away in America. So, um, that was an interesting aspect of the novel that's very much just slipped in there, kind of. But it is a big part of Poe's character. Poe's way into being a gentleman, right? He's got this weirdo slave shit that he's into. So he's a good kind of representative example of all the weird shit that is America. 
last thing I'll say is that um, I really enjoyed the mentioning of the five points. I love the movie Gangs of New York, so any mention of the five points will do that for me. And then I loved how dirty New York was. It's dirty, it's gross, it's smelly, it's fucked up. People are getting fucking hammered on shitty wine. Uh, Olden did a great job of researching the old-timey language. And then also just, like, people are into, you know, weirdo fucking blood sports. Um, there's child prostitutes in the novel. It's not like I, I'm not saying I like child prostitutes. I like that Olden didn't shy away from the disgustingness of New York. It wasn't quaint 19th century tea houses, you know, boy. It wasn't that. It was like, no, this shit is fucked up. And I think that that's a huge thing that we also miss in modern culture. Um you see it in some Western sometimes where like they, they do a good job of like, no, it's actually gross. This was a gross place to be. Uh, the one I'm thinking of the most um, glaringly is Billy. The kid does a good job of this, but, but when you actually depict the 19th century to be as gross and strange as our own time, I think you do uh, a service to the modern person who can't conceive of that. We look through at the past through, rose-colored glasses even knowing you know it's that um it's that uh that ability to hold two ideas in our head we know there's a bunch of fucked up shit going on but like in our head we're like oh there's soirees and people wear nice dresses and balls and sure just outside down the street there's fucking knife fights with you know a scumbag there with a child prostitute like that shit was happening too so i thought olden did a good job of um depicting the the ugly face of New York that's always been there and the ugly face of humanity that's always been there reverberating through the ages. All right, we're done. Uh, clocked in at a decent time. I will be reading something in the coming weeks. Not sure what it's going to be because I'm recording this podcast in advance. So um, likely it will be... Uh, couple of independent books by some indie authors and yeah that'll be cool um the episodes before this were the delectable negro by vincent woodard so if you want to go back if you've read that book uh, and you want to chat with a person who's also read it that's what this podcast is for uh if you like my musings you can check out my writings in the show notes including a novel that i wrote called playing in the sand about a comedian starting a cult and what could be more relevant now is we're seeing more and more cults pop up under different names, but um, certainly some of them led by former political figures and acolytes of said political figure. And then if you want to just read musings in general, there's a link to my various writings in the show notes. The music is by The Keep Running. You can check them out on SoundCloud, link in the show notes. Please subscribe on Spotify. Apple Podcasts, Pocket Casts, which is what I use, YouTube, uh, etc. And yeah, that'll do it. Oh, Instagram, TikTok, etc. You know, Twitter. Twitter's the one I'm actually on. Instagram, TikTok. They're there, but I'm really on Twitter. That's going to do it. Until next time, stay safe, stay black and keep reading. That's me closing the Kindle. There's time enough at last. That's not fair. That's not fair at all. 
there was time now. There was, was all the time I needed. That's not fair. <laughs> That's not fair. <laughs>